I love music. I think a lot of you guys come to Grace because you love music. I mean, that's one of the reasons you're here is because you, now you, you stay because you love the preaching, but you come at first, obviously, but you come at first because the music, music has incredible power. How many of you guys have, just for fun, how many of you have Spotify playlists or iTunes or iPod playlists or something like that? You've got a playlist, some of y'all are still using records, you've got a playlist somewhere, don't you? A playlist of songs, and you have that because there is power in music. There is a song for everything on your playlist. You have songs that connect you with God, right, in some sort of deep and mysterious ways. You have songs that that make you happy. You have songs that make you cry. You have songs that remind you of your high school friends. You have so, there is a song for married folks. Married folks, you have a a, a playlist for date night, right? That's right. That's not on your playlist. It should be. <laughs> Songs for everything, man. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> the good news is they edited half my jokes and let that one slide. So <laughs> got a song for everything. And so if you've been doing the year of the Bible and you've been reading with us, you've been reading through the book of Psalms. I want you to understand the book of Psalms is a book of songs. Psalms was the playlist for the ancient world. This was their Spotify. This was their iTunes. Psalms were the songs the Israelites sang in worship. So when you're reading through the book of Psalms, you are reading through their playlist. It's kind of funny to think about because if you've been reading the Psalms, there's some, they say some strange things, right? So you can imagine Dusty up here smiling, you know. Everybody sing with me. God smite my enemies, destroy their crops and land, punish them for generations to come. On the solid rock I stand. Right? I just made that one up. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) that was good, wasn't it? Thank you. Man, I'm good with this mic. (laughs) But really, I mean, that's their playlist. These are the songs they sang, and there was a song for every occasion, all sorts of emotions. And so... I was supposed to move forward with the reading plan, but I'm a, you know, I, uh, I got kind of stuck in a psalm we actually read last week. And so normally I'm a slave to rules, but, but I'm going to kind of change things just a little bit and do things a little different this week. I'm actually going to pick a psalm that you read last week. But I don't want to move forward without spending some time on this one, and it's Psalm 42. And so if you guys have your, have your Bibles, open them up, or your phone, or however you do it. If y'all will indulge me, I just want to read through this one together. It's Psalm 42. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Why people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All the waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. 
At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony agony, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Oh, man, that's good. Such a beautiful psalm. And I want you to understand this psalm is about a very, very serious condition. It's about spiritual depression. It's about those times in your life when you want to feel God, but you don't feel God. When you you want to take that step, but you don't feel like you can take that step. When, When you feel like in your prayers you're just talking to yourself, When you feel like when you're singing songs, you don't even really believe the words. You're just sort of going through the motions. Those seasons of spiritual depression where God feels just out of your reach. It starts in in verse 1. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so, so my soul pants for you, my God. I have seen that verse used as a happy bumper sticker. Not happy. As the deer As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. The the imagery here is a deer who's looking for water and can't get a drink. And so he's panting because he's dying of thirst. And this is what it feels like when you want God so bad and you just want to know him, but, but you just feel nothing. You're numb. You're numb to the presence of God. You're numb to the power of God. In verse 2, it says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That verse translates into, when will I see the face of God? It's wanting so bad to be with him and be in his presence, and you just don't feel like he's there. It's this idea of losing the relational presence of God in your life. And it's brutal. And I know because I've been there. So have many of you. And no, this guy isn't, he's not, he's not saying I'm doubting the existence of God. He's saying I'm doubting whether or not God still exists in my life. He's not doubting that there is a God. He's doubting that this God is still with him. And in this moment, you can feel the pain of his soul. And we see this a lot in Psalms. We see it a lot, man. I think this is so important for us right now. Because many of you... In this, in this year of the Bible, you are taking your first real step towards God. Do not underestimate the power of reading this book. All right, when you read this book, you are taking your first real step towards God. And when you step towards God, there will come a season in your life, a time in your life, when you don't feel God. Y'all ever been there? Brutal. And I think we get it if... Like sometimes we can lose God's presence because of sin. Or, you know, we think because sin separates us from God. So sometimes if we're making really bad choices or we're in a season where we're, we're sinning or whatever, you know, we, we, we sort of don't feel God's presence. And that makes sense to us because we believe it's hardwired into our DNA to believe I'm going to get what I deserve. And so when I'm, when I'm pursuing God and when I'm close to God, I should feel him. And when, I, when I'm not, When I'm rebelling, I shouldn't feel him, that makes sense. But what about the times when you're not rebelling? When you're checking all the boxes, when you're doing all the things, and still you feel totally and completely spiritually dry. 
brutal. And you know what the worst part about it is? We don't want to talk about it here. Oh, no. You don't want to come to church and be honest about the fact that I don't feel it. I don't, I don't feel it when I pray. I don't feel it when I sing. We want to mask it and hide. Because it's really hard to be honest about the fact that you are in a spiritual desert. And the problem is, the reason we don't talk about it at church is because when you confess it to a church person, well-meaning people who love you and who love God, you come to them and you say, man, I am spiritually dry, and here's what they tell you, and I know because I've given this advice, you need to pray more. You need to read more. You need to sing more. You need to do more religious things until you start to feel God. And if you're not feeling God, you must not be doing enough religious things. But doing a bunch of religious stuff without feeling the presence of God is religion. And that is a heavy yoke for you to carry. And it's the yoke Christ died to relieve. This idea that we're meant to carry this, this religion. And if I do enough religious things, then I'll feel God's presence. God's like, no, 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 no. You're putting a burden on yourself you were never meant to hold. That's not the solution. And man, if you're a new Christian in the house, if you just now really started getting this thing, don't you sometimes feel like you were sold a false bill of goods? They told me if I prayed that prayer, everything would be okay, right? Come on down, pray the prayer, pray the prayer, pray the prayer. And you prayed the prayer and you opened your eyes and my world's still in chaos. I don't feel it. Did I not pray the prayer right? Should I do it again? What's up with that? I don't feel what I was told I was going to feel. So it's difficult. It's hard. And the problem with this is what starts as an emotion, this feeling distant from God, uh, it will eventually begin to erode your faith. Because if I go through a long enough time where I don't feel the presence of God, if I, don't, if I don't feel like I'm with God, if I go through that long enough, I will eventually begin to doubt that God really exists. Because if I hadn't felt some experience for, for years and years and years, and I'm still talking to the air, I'm eventually going to doubt that God is even real. What I knew in the light, I will doubt in the darkness if I allow the darkness to go on for long enough. And that's why we need to understand this condition. You need to know that it's coming. We need to be prepared to deal with it. We need to brace ourselves because we are going to some point go through a desert. And how you handle it can make the big difference in your life. That's why I love this psalm so much because this psalm dissects what it's like to be in a spiritual desert. And so first I want to... I want to talk about three potential causes of why you might be spiritually dry. And the reason I'm doing three is because pastors do everything in threes. I have no idea why. Uh, we make three points. We're limited. We, one of us made five points once. They fired him. And uh, back to three. So I'm going to make three points about this. And, and, but I, I do think inside of these three points, you are going to find something that connects with you. And if you're in it, hear me, though, before I go on. If you're in a season of spiritual dryness, welcome. I'm glad you're here. It's not a lack of faith. It's the presence of humanity. It's okay, and we're going to work through it together. Here's the first reason that some people experience spiritual dryness. They separate themselves from community. The psalmist says in verse 4, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Therefore, I'll remember you, from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, 
from the Mount of Mazar. All right, what, what this guy is saying is, I used to be connected inside of community. There was a time when I worshiped with this festive throng and everyone was excited and, and I was in a place where I had accountability and I belonged and people cared for me. And then he actually says he's moved from the land of Jordan and the heights of Hermon from the Mount Mazar. He's made a geographical change in location from north to south or south to north. I forgot. You'll have to get your own map. But he's moved geographically in the region of Judea, right? So he has been cut off from the people who were his family. And if you separate yourselves, and this is almost always one of the first things we do when we're running from God, is we separate ourselves from God's people, right? And if you're experiencing spiritual dryness, I would just ask you, have you cut yourself off from community? Are, are, you, are you living an isolated spiritual life? think we, especially in America, and I love America, but especially in America, the American Christian, we are so individualistic, right? It's all about I, I, me, me. We underestimate the power of community. We were designed to live inside the body of Christ. We were created to live inside of community. And the hand doesn't get to tell the head or the foot he doesn't need them anymore. You need community. Men, I want you to hear me. Men, so often men say something like this. Well, my relationship with God is between me and God. No, it's not. You made that up. That's not in the Bible. You're like, well, Hezekiah, for, Hezekiah is not, that's not even in the Bible. It's not even a book. Your relationship is not between you and God. Everything you do with God in private is also designed to be done inside of community. Praying and fasting in community and worshiping community and reading. All these things are done. You are communal beings. You are designed to live inside of community. And if you cut yourself off from that, you will become spiritually dry. You need the body, and the body needs you. It's just the truth. And so I would ask you, someone said something brilliant the other day. Maybe I'll, I said it, whatever, I said it. Um, I didn't. But uh, your heart will follow your investments. Amen? Are you investing in community here? Because let me tell you what's going to happen. If, and I'm not knocking anybody. It's just the truth, man. If you're coming here week after week, and you're just showing up for this, and you're just leaving, here's what's going to happen. There will come a time when you are not here for three or four weeks, all right? And, and you won't get a call, and you know who the first person you'll blame will be? This guy. You will blame me. To your friends on Facebook at the cafe. Well, that pastor, I've been gone for four weeks, and he hadn't even said hi to me. I'm sorry uh, that I didn't notice you weren't here, but you may not believe this or not. I'm looking at a lot of people from this angle. These are the same people who get mad that I didn't speak to them in the parking lot. Like I didn't cut my sermon four minutes short, run out to their car and wait for them. Hey, 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 oh, hey, glad you're here. So if you're not here for a season of time, I'm not going to call you. And so the first person you're going to blame is me. The second person you're going to blame is the bride, that church, those people, those people at Grace. I've been gone four weeks. They hadn't even called me. Of course, I never spoke to anyone in the two weeks I was there. Not one person's called me from that church. They're terrible. And then you'll go find another church. And they will blame their pastor. And then, and you know the third person you will blame will be? God. God. You will blame the pastor. Then you will blame the bride. And then you will blame God the Father. And so I'm now at the point where I count it a blessing if you blame me because I'm in the same conversation with God. 
It's not God's fault if you've cut yourself off from community. We have given you eight million ways to get connected here. If you're choosing not to invest in those ways, then know what is going to happen, a spiritual desert, and there will be no one there to watch your back. If you are experiencing a spiritual drought, I would ask you, are you purposely and intentionally investing in community? The second factor is this. The the second reason we, we hit a spiritual desert is because things happen that just don't add up. In verse 3, it says, While people say to me all day long, where is your God? This is, man, I I have hit spiritual deserts before in my life, and this was the reason. Because something happened in the world that I could not balance with the presence of a good God. Couldn't figure it out. Y'all remember remember Sandy Hook, the school where the, the little kids were shot? I could not balance in my mind the presence of that sort of atrocity with the existence of a God who is good. And I know the Bible answer, okay? I know the seminary answer. I know the truth. In my heart, I know the truth that God is love, and so there must be freedom. I know all these things, but there are still times in my life when something happens in the world, and I look and say, God, are you even there? Like, are you real? Like we just, what are you doing? Why aren't you intervening in this situation? And, and, and to experience that is not the lack of faith. It is the presence of humanity. It's being human in a broken world. Every now and then we look at what's around us and go, God, how did you allow this to happen? And I do not believe when I ask God that question, he's angry with me. I think he mourns because he knows that my heart is hurting. And so for you, there may be times when you see things in the world And you know he is God and you are not. You know all those things, but you're still like, man, what what is going on? It's okay. It's personal, seeing something in the world, but when it's your own family, your own children, that's why in verse 9 it says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Gosh, have you been there? When something happened in your family to you personally that hurt so bad, you're like, God, where are you? And it felt like your foes were taunting you, that the enemy was saying, you have no God. It hurts. And it's real. And church people don't allow us to feel this. Right? They come to us and they're good. I'm not, they're good intentions, but they say church things. Oh, you know, this is God's will. No, it's not. The world is broken. Oh, you know what? what just let people hurt, man. There's a great scene. I wish I would have thought about this I, I would have, in a movie called, uh, the movie about the little emotions. What's the name of the emotions? Inside Out. And there's this little emotion called s- sadness. And at one point, the other emotion is having some problem. And instead of trying to talk them out of it, sadness just sits down there and cries with them. Like we don't have to explain everything away. We don't have to constantly defend our God. Sometimes it's okay to hurt in your humanity. It's okay. That's not a lack of faith. That's normal, man. When you go through real life things, I think the world almost thinks we're weird when everything's just, oh, God, everything's okay. Everything. We're not Pollyanna. We're humans who experience real hurt. And have real questions. That does not mean you do not have real faith. And the third reason, and I think this 
This is probably the most underestimated part of your spiritual life, I had to guess. I, I know it is for me. And I wish that I had come up with this third one myself. Uh, it was a guy named Timothy. You know what? It was me. Timothy Keller. Timothy Keller wrote, wrote this. He said, um, a major factor in spiritual depression is often physical exhaustion. This is so good, guys. A major factor in spiritual depression is often physical exhaustion. In verse 3, it says, My tears have been my food day and night. This is such a brilliant analogy for what life is like when you're hurting physically and emotionally. And if you're hurting physically and emotionally, it will affect your spirituality. And so he says, My tears have been my food day and night. You know what that tells me? He's not eating and he's not sleeping. Right? Have you been through seasons where you weren't eating right and you weren't sleeping right? Didn't it eventually affect your spirituality? And if your spirituality is affected and your emotion, it will affect your physical self. Guys, we are, we are connected, body, mind, and spirit. We are created in the image of a triune God. You are a three-part being, body, mind, and spirit. And every single part matters. And if you're forsaking one part, you, 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 are, you are walking into a spiritual desert. Not every answer is pray more, although you should probably pray more. Sometimes the answer is eat right and exercise. Take care of yourself. Of course you don't feel. I, I, I know, you know when I'm the most vulnerable to the enemy is when I'm not sleeping. When I'm tired, he can get in my head. If I go a week, a couple weeks with bad sleep, the conversation in my head begins to change. It's a dangerous spot for me to stay in. Y'all remember in Leviticus how important the temple was to God? There are 873 chapters in Leviticus on where to put the fourth nail in the right door on the third day, on the seventh level, or the fourth It's like, man, just, just nail it in. Moses, just bring it in there. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's an incredible amount of detail. If God cares that much about a temple that's not even real, then in the New Testament he says, you are the temple now. Your body is the temple. If God is calling your body the temple of the Holy Spirit, how much do you think God cares about your body? He cares. Guys, if you need emotional help, get counseling. Quit being so prideful that you refuse to get counseling if you need it. I'll go to counseling. I'll go right now if one of y'all wants to counsel me. I got no problem with it at all. Go. Take care of yourself emotionally and physically, or there is no way you can take care of yourself spiritually. It's just the truth. So perhaps if you're in a spiritual desert, it's time to look at your physical and emotional health. So those are some of the causes. And I'm willing to bet the majority of the people in here connect with one of those three. The good news is there's cures. There's cures, and that's what I love about this psalm so much. It, he goes into the cures, and there's three points I'm going to make on the cures. Because that's all I'm allowed to make. And the first one is this. Pour out your soul. Verse 4 says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Get honest with somebody about how you feel. Like, and th this is why you must know that this is not the fullness of church. This is one part of what church was meant to be. You're also designed to be in small groups so that you can pour out your soul. And, and, and if you're not able to pour out your soul, then get connected inside of community because that's why you're in the spiritual desert. 
There should be people in your life who you can talk to about your life and share with them, I am in a spiritual desert. And quit lying to God. Oh, God, I'm so happy. He's like, no, you're not. I can read your mind. I know exactly what you're thinking. Stop doing that. Be honest with God and honest with someone else. Pour out your soul about what is really happening in your heart. If you don't speak it, if you don't identify it, and you just smush it down and smush it down, smush it, you know what you'll eventually do? Climb up a tower and start taking a rifle and pop shot people like me. Don't do that. You can't squash these things down. You have to deal with the emotions that are inside of you. Pour out your soul to God and to someone else. Second thing you can do is, and this is so good, examine where you have placed your hope. Verse 11 says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. If you're in a spiritual desert, it's time to examine where you've placed your hope. Because there's a lot of good places to place your hope that were never meant to carry your hope. A lot of people place their hope in their children. Your child is everything to you. If your child is everything to you, then your child can take everything from you. Right? Your child is not everything. Quit posting that on Facebook. My child is everything. No, your child is your child. Your God is your everything. We've got to get this thing right. Because when your child believes they're your everything, it changes the way they act, and all the rest of us know it. All right? <laughs> you got to work on that. You place your hope in your child. That's the wrong place to place it. You place your hope in your spouse. If your hope is placed in your spouse, your spouse will let you down. They will break your heart. They were never designed to be the sole carrier of your hope. That, that is a burden and a yoke that they were not meant to carry. Your spouse is not your hope. Your job is not your hope. If you've placed your hope in this government, then bless your heart for the love, right? None of these things, denominations, governments, even none of this was meant to be your hope. Your hope is Christ alone. And if you're in a season where you're experiencing spiritual dryness, examine honestly, pour out your soul and figure out where have I placed my hope. And the final thing is, remember God's grace and preach to your heart. I love this one so much. Verse 8 says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Verse 11, Why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Remember God. Remember God. My, my brother Jeff, when he did the uh, marriage conference, he made such a great point. Like if your relationship is in a place where your relationship with your spouse is dry, and, and, and you, you begin to say this thing in your head like they always or, you know, they always are this way or whatever, he said, take a picture of a happy moment between you and your spouse and put it on your phone. So that every time you look at your phone, you remember something happy. And for most of us, that's nine million times a day. Every time you look at your phone, remember something happy about your spouse. Remember God. And one of the best ways to remember God is to pick up this book and read it and remember what he's done. His track record over 2,000 years is fairly impressive. Like, remember God. Remember, don't, don't, we get so bogged down in what God's not doing for me at the moment that we forget the million things that God has already done. Remember God and then preach a sermon to your heart. Your heart is deceitful. 
It is steering you wrong. There are days when you need to grab your heart by the throat, slap it around, and say, now you listen to me. I'm going to preach you a sermon. Don't hold its throat for long because it will cut off your blood supply, but just for a little bit. Heart, I am making the rules now, not you. And because you have read this book, and because you are protected in community, you know the truth, and you look at your heart, and you preach Christ crucified. Preach the greatest sermon your heart has ever heard. And every single one of you has the potential to do this because no one knows what you need to hear better than you. You preach truth. This is called self-talk. Y'all ever heard of self-talk? You're all saying something to yourselves anyway. Just take control of what you're saying. Quit saying willy-nilly things to yourself. Be intentional. There's a book called Crash the Chatterbox. I highly recommend you read it. Take control of the things you are saying to yourself. Quit letting your heart guide you and start preaching truth and reminding your heart, I know who my God is. You're right, I'm thirsting right now, but I remember when you hung on a cross, Jesus, and you said, I'm thirsty. And I'm hurting right now, but I remember what you went through for me, Jesus, and I know that you hurt. I feel forsaken by God, but you're the one who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, I remember everything you went through, and I know you went through it so that I would never have to. So I believe that you will never forsake me, and I will get through this desert. And you say that over and over and over until you believe it. This is not about a bunch of religious chores to do. This is about reminding yourself of who your God is and refuse to let your heart steal the truth from your mind. You remind yourself of the truth. You refuse to sit around and be victimized by your own thoughts. You take your thoughts captive and you preach the greatest sermon your heart has ever heard. Every day. You preach Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again, and I refuse to ever give up. Guys, about two weeks ago, uh, I think it was about two weeks, I sent a text to seven of of my best friends from high school. And, And what I said to them in the text message was, I am so lonely right now, and no amount of human interaction will change the way I feel. I was just like in a weird place. Things going on, I don't know, I felt totally and completely alone. No one in my family had done anything wrong. Nothing, I just, have you ever been there when for no reason you could be in a crowd of a thousand and you still feel totally and completely alone? That's what I was feeling. Completely dry. I didn't feel the presence of God. I didn't, and my friends were calling me and Christy was encouraging me. And, but none of those things changed the way I felt. But I want you to hear this. I am at a place now in my relationship with God. Where even in the middle of that desert, I knew that I would praise my God again. This is the place you must get to. I'm not saying the desert isn't coming because it is. And that psalm doesn't say, I will praise you immediately. It doesn't say, it, it says, I will praise you again. And I firmly believe, because I am speaking this to myself, empowered by the Holy Spirit, taking my free will captive, that I will never be in a desert that I won't come out of. And no matter what happens to me in that moment, I will praise my God again. And I will preach this sermon to myself over and over and over so that nothing that ever comes against me will trump the voice of the one who owns me. And if you are in a desert, I want you to hear me, you must change the way you speak to yourself. You must take your thoughts captive and preach the greatest sermon you've ever heard. You will come out of the desert. Your God has not, that distance that you feel between you and God, that distance is not his anger. That distance is his grace alerting you to a condition between you and him. 
What's funny is we feel this distance. God is right there. He is right there. He's waiting. So I want you to know today if you're in the house and you're in a spiritual desert, number one, you're not a bad Christian. Quit letting Christians tell you that. It's not a lack of faith. And you will walk out of this desert. And you will walk out stronger than you walked in. Your God has not forsaken you. Your God is right beside you. And you will praise your God again. You hear me. You will praise your God again. This desert is not the end of the story. Your story ends in greatness. You will praise your God again. Don't trust me. Trust the one who died to make the point. God will bring you through it. Amen.